Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to the Celtic Soul podcast with me, Andrew Millen. My guest on the show today will be journalist and author Steve Finnan. This episode has been sponsored by St. Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club and I would like to thank them for all our support over many years of both the fanzine and now the podcast. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club would like to sponsor the podcast, please email us at info at You can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. So another defeat last night, I have to say... I wasn't that confident before the game after the Rangers' performance. But we did start well. I was surprised to see Ayeti and Griffith starting up front. But after about 10 minutes, Milan got into the game and they just looked on a different level to us. Shane Duffy now joins a long list of Celtic centre-halves who are getting stick for performances in Europe. He's in there now with the likes of Bobo Baldi and Gary Caldwell and many others. So Shane, you're not the only one to have really put in a poor performance on a European night. But you need to learn from this and you need to learn fast because this is an important season. The second half was much better. The substitutions, Elanusi, Christie and Rodrick really gave us something. We started to look like a team. We controlled the ball. We passages well. The passing was brilliant. And we got our just rewards when Elanusi popped in with the goal. I can't help thinking what would have been with 60,000 of us in when that goal hit the back of the net. Memories of that Scott McDonald goal when we came back against Milan before. But should not to be without fans. It's just not the same. We keep going over it and over it and over it again. But... The third goal, does it mean anything in, in the whole shape of things? Not really. We had to go for the game. We had to try and get a point out of it. But we move on. Aberdeen now, Sunday, it's going to be tough. And then we're away to Lille. So the games are coming thick and fast. We will get the players back that are out with COVID. We will get the players that are out injured back. And hopefully we will improve. I don't think it's lights out for Lennon just yet. But the next couple of games will play a big part on who's manager at the end of the season, I do think. Steve Finnan is the author of Celtic in the Black and White Era. He grew up a Dundee United fan, but he would travel around Scotland attending games from Aberdeen to Alloa and Dunfermline to Glasgow. A journalist by trade who never, surprisingly enough, covered sport on a full-time basis. He was always on the news desk, but he did cover a few Celtic matches, including one of Liam Brady's last games in charge. 
Hi, Steve. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. As someone who has attended so many football stadiums, did you ever think you would see a time when there would be no fans inside football stadiums? No, I, I, I'm getting withdrawal symptoms. I, I, it's actually hurtful to see. And I feel sorry for the players. Sometimes when they score, they're going to a slide on their knees and there's nobody there. And I think when you look back at people's highlights reels, you'll see people scoring great goals and then it'll look weird because there's no fans there. I've really not liked it. I'm, I'm desperate for the football to come back and to get back to the football. Well, I can't disagree with you there. Watching the Milan game last night, we were up against it because, you know, they've had a great start to the season and we are having yeah. two problems. But at the same time, you know, 60,000 Celtic fans in there on the lights certainly gives, gives you um, an advantage that an empty stadium now doesn't, in my opinion, give you a home advantage. Yeah, yeah. When you look back at how the Celtic support rocketed Celtic on to beat Barcelona that time, just think what that would have been last night with Celtic Park rocking, really sort of pushing them on. Would have been a different game altogether. Yeah, especially after we, we scored, I think, in fairness, the players have come in with a lot of criticism, and rightly so, after Saturday's performance. But I do believe, you know, after we got the goal, that we could have witnessed another great night at Celtic Park. But it's gone now, and we move on, and it, it looks like it's going to be some time before we return to full stadiums. Yeah. I suppose we've had a few trial runs with 300 fans in Ross County, but mm-hmm. I spoke to someone that was at that game, and they said, you know, it's not football as we know it. It's not, no. But anyway, congratulations on the new book. I can only describe it as a thing of beauty. <laughs> it arrived with me last week, and I get a lot of books sent to me to review, but I find myself continually looking through this one. Uh, every time I pick it up, I find a different picture. I suppose the thing that sticks out, we managed to get over 300 pictures related to Celtic that have never been published before. Yeah. Just, just take us through the project. Right, well, I have... I have access to an archive, a vast archive of photos that's largely lain untouched and uncurated uh, for for decade upon decade. And that is why I think I've managed to put out a Celtic book that has never been done before. And it can never be done again because there's never going to be a a repository of of pictures that will be like this that you've not seen before. and to be honest, the joy of doing this, this is, I've worked on several projects. I've done books about uh, old football team lineups, and then there was Little Rose of Turnstiles, which is about old football grounds. But doing this, I'll, I'll need to talk you through finding the, the Hamden in the Sun 1957 pictures. I've used one of them on the front, and to be honest, <laughs> I sometimes looked at the work of photographers from back in the day, and you think, what were you thinking? That's rubbish. But this one, Honestly, he could have sat there for a year and not composed the pictures any better. With the sun breaking through, there's a sort of heat haze over the over the crowd in the Rangers' end. It's, it's maybe a haze of anger, but <laughs> those pictures, but those pictures were hammed in. And then uh, Somerville Drive in the background, the houses overlooking and the Old North Stand. You should have seen my face as I'm looking at this. I'm I'm sitting in a room and I'm looking through pictures and the only person I had to speak to was a girl who was doing research on something to do with economics or something and I rushed over and said look at these look at these and she she even she to be fair was moved and said yeah that's a cracking picture but when when you see it honestly your your heart soars your heart says no matter which team you support these are among the best football pictures you've ever seen from any era and I am really really proud to have brought these to the Celtic support I've actually uh, I've sent a copy, a couple of copies of the book to 
Celtic themselves, and I've, I've put a wee note in with the books saying, I've got these high-res pictures of uh, Celtic in the black and white era, especially the Hamden and the Sun ones. They would blow up to any size you like. You are free to have them because these things deserve to sit on a wall in, in Celtic Park somewhere so that people can see them because they are so, so good. This isn't just history that you look at. This is when you when you see these pictures, it's something that you feel. It touches you deep inside because you can see you can see the guys, uh, the supporters celebrating. You can see the, the guy, the players on the pitch doing so well. There's Neely Mochin, for instance, going in on the on the keeper with the, the vast ranks of Celtic support behind him and the uh, the North Stand behind that. And honestly, this is a work of art. I'd, I'd go as far as to say that. I sound like I'm getting a little bit arty-farty and photo-like, but these are pictures that, that deserve to be seen. They deserve to be put out in the for the history of the, the game, of, of Celtic's history. They, they deserve to be shown and widely seen. So th- those are the ones I'm most proud of. But if you go through the book, guys, you will see Celtic uh, players, the support that you've never seen before. And like I say, I, I couldn't be prouder of it. Now, what I do, or what I've done all my life, is I've worked for newspapers, but I've always been on the, the news side of things, because real power in any newspaper is on the news desk. So I was news editor, chief sub-editor, that sort of thing. But you always pay attention to what's happening at the time sports sells your paper. So I've been a football daft my entire life, and uh, I've been taken to football games all over Scotland. My father, he loved getting out on a Saturday for a day trip, and even though... I was raised a Dun United supporter and as all Celtic supporters will know you kind of change your team but so that's my team and I'm not going to lie to anybody about that but my father would take me to places and one of his favourite players I have to say in fact his very most favourite player was Bobby Evans and there's a picture in the book and I explain it's, it's quite a, a personal thing for me that my father the, the way my father thought of Bobby Evans as a man who would never ever give up a man who would keep on going great attitude wanted to be a winner and drove everybody else on. And my father would point to him and say, be like him, do what he does. doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. If you comport yourself like Bobby Evans does, then you're doing okay. And that stuck with me. So when I see this picture, I find a picture of Bobby Evans. And for once, he's got his, uh, his shirt tucked in, which he didn't used to do. But he's running along and, man, he looks like a football player. He looks like somebody who's thinking, I'm going to win for a 50-50 and I'm going to win this. And See, that sort of thing. Again, it touches you. And what I hope with this book is, what I pray it will happen, is that people will flick through it and they'll see a player or a game or a shot of the stadium and think, I remember that. And it'll take them back to the people they were with at the time, what they were thinking at the time, what they were at the time. Uh, and if I can manage that with just one picture, then that's enough for me. That's, that's me done my job. I put a picture out there that has absolutely touched a nostalgic thing inside people. Um, because there's a book, I reckon, if you want to know more about Celtic's history, then read the book. But even more than that, if you become the older in your life who's a Celtic supporter through, through the ages, you give them this book, and it's honestly, it's a big, thick book. It makes a nice Christmas present. You give them this book, then you'll not see them for the rest of Christmas Day. You'll have to drag them to the table to get their turkey and stuff in because they'll be head in the book saying, I remember that, I remember that game, I was there, that sort of stuff. And it's uh, it's become a labour of love. I 
I mean, obviously it's got to be a book that makes money and such like, but I've never worked on a project like this that has touched me so deeply. And I have to say that the reason for that is the quality of the material. Uh, if you go back to the 60s and that, Jockstein, he realised that, you know, at the start of the decade, Rangers are in the ascendancy. And Jock, early on, realised that if he can get media attention on his team, he begins to drive the media agenda. So Jock allows photographers, Simon at Rangers, just was not doing. And it worked. It worked absolutely brilliantly. Now, now Jock wouldn't let anybody take a loan of him. He dictated what the news agenda was going to be. But Jock knows a good picture when he sees it. Uh, there's a couple of training pictures, and you see Jock working with these players. And there's a great picture of uh, legend has it that uh, if you'd uh, if you'd been mucking about at training or, or not doing the working hard enough, if the ball went in a puddle down at Sea at Sea Mills, that the person who's been mucking about had to go and get it. And I've got a great picture of, of Jimmy Johnson. <laughs> he's half in this great big puddle on the beach, and he's looking looking to fish the ball out. He's laughing. Everybody's laughing. It's it's just great. But that sort of thing, you don't see pictures of any other club or any other set of players. Obviously, the photographer's been with them all day and it has paid off. You've got a wonderful set of pictures and you look at Celtic and you think, they're doing well. You can see what they're doing at training. You can see the work they're putting in. You can see that they're enjoying it. And it puts a smile on your face. There's pictures also from before the... The 65 Cup final, which was obviously the breakthrough. And it's a lovely picture in the sun. They've got them posing for the for the camera. And it's just lovely, honestly, lovely. After seeing the book and after flicking through the 1957 Cup final pictures, and I've read a lot about that final, but I contacted David Potter, who's wrote a lot of Celtic books. And I contacted David and I said, David, because it was, it was, on, it was around the day of the game, the date of, of the anniversary of the game. And I'm looking through these pictures. And, and in my mind, I'm selecting one with your permission that I can put on the cover. And I'm saying, right, we always do a cover story. So I contact David and he says, well, what do you want about, you know, to build up the game? And I said, no, I, I want the game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm reliving these pictures. I can see the crowd in the background. So I want you to be there now. So he, he sent it to me and it's in the next issue, but I was lucky enough, as the editor, I get to read everything first. <laughs> and I get to, Decide what goes in, and it's just it's just a beautiful piece, and the the picture he paints, and he done a beautiful thing. He put the goal scorers in capital letters, so they stood out. You know, it's just a simple thing, and in bold. Yeah. You know, and I just thought at that time, you know, Celtic was going through the doldrums. You know, that must have been. It's still a record oh, in, in a domestic cup final, I think. Anyway, and it must uh-huh. have been the pride that them fans and them pictures. Must have felt when they were walking out in that stadium, up Mount Florida or wherever they were going, it must have given them more pride than it had ever at a football match. And then you speak about you speak about Jock and then Seaman and that, you know, sixty-five. I've I've been lucky enough to interview a lot of the players that that played in the famous Lisbon Line era. And they talk about sixty-five being the defining moment when Celtic became this world power. You know, the pictures, and I can't, I can't speak highly enough about the book because, you know, I've seen the pictures. And when you said that, you know, you've offered them to Celtic, I hope one day Celtic put all of them on display and, and the punters can come in and view them, you know, because this, these are, they're just part of our history. And 
There's a saying, you know, every picture tells a story. But mm. some of these, I want to know the story because you know, I've never seen <laughs> I've never seen Jimmy Johnson with his Alsatian dog. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen him with Shane. a shock. I've never seen him with a shotgun. Shane, yeah. What sticks out for me as well, I love the 60s and mm. the fashion in the pictures. It's just <laughs> it's just brilliant, you know. I love that mod look. There's a brilliant picture of Bobby Lennox and he's doing the, the wife's hair because I didn't know Bobby was from a hairdressing background, but he's uh, doing the wife's hair in this picture. And he's wearing a beautiful Fred Perry. Yes. You know, like, and the hair is, is, is as neat as can be. And <laughs> as was all the players then, you know, before they moved into the 70s and then everything went, everything went pear-shaped with free love. Yeah. <laughs> the, those pictures of, of Bobby doing his wife's hair, I showed them to my wife just to get another sort of aspect, because she's obviously in, a, in a here doing as well. And the thing she commented was, she saw Bobby's wife, and she thought, and she said right out loud, it hadn't even occurred to me, that, that woman looks like a Miss World contestant. She is absolutely beautiful. What a beautiful woman. And again, it's just seeing the pictures from a different point of view, and I'm thinking, yeah, you're right enough. She That is a bonnie, bonnie lassie. And... Um, I like the way you're talking about the, the fashions. Um, Marie Clark, actually, uh, John Clark's daughter, she did a, an introduction for me about the power of old photos and told me a story about uh, that the family there lost some of their old pictures. And uh, I was lucky enough to find pictures of, of Marie as a toddler in 1967. And she's with her mother. And so I sent the pictures to Marie. Marie, give her her due. She first checked me out. I just contacted out of the blue and she checked out who I was, found out was I a proper guy or uh, some sort of nutter but she checked me out as soon as she she sort of got to trust me of, because of lockdown I've not met her but I keep saying I'll, I'll, I'll come through, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a book, I've sent her books but I'll sign the book and I want you to give this to your dad I want you to give this to your, to your brother but she, she loved her mother loved the pictures of herself in 1967, because she says, uh, my mother always hated hats. She never liked to wear a hat to a wedding. But in this picture, she's wearing a hat. And this sparked for them around their family table a great big discussion on, well, what are you doing wearing a hat? It's a sombrero, but it's, you know, it's waiting for, uh, she was actually at Lisbon, um, Marie's mother, but they're waiting for, uh, it's a kind of a mock top picture. They're waiting for him to come home from Lisbon and she's all excited because she's going to go on her holidays now. And there's a, cherubic sort of picture of, of Marie as she is as two years old at that point. But her mother looks through the pictures and she remembers the dress she was wearing. Then on the day of the, the homecoming at Selig Park, she remembers the, the coat she was wearing there and how she, well she looks in it. And she commented, oh, I wish you'd turn my face when you're taking that picture. But that sort of thing. And it's just another example of you, what people are finding in this. And although, you know, I'm very football oriented, but when you find people looking at things like, oh, wasn't John Thompson's fiance really a bonnie looking lassie? And again, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that either, but you've got John Thompson with his fiance. I'd never seen a picture of Margaret before, and there's a lovely, uh, lovely picture of them arm and arm on there, which was uh, really touching. But I like what you say about the fashion. There's a couple of jock, again, in a <laughs> almost a sort of Blues Brothers narrow tie, dark suit. Looks absolutely great. Brilliant. There's one of John Clark as well with uh, Billy McNeil and the two of them are just like, what what a partnership they were on the pitch. Yes. But yeah. they look 
you know, and it looked like, you know, like t- two boys about to go on the scooter to Brighton for a mud rally. <laughs> you know, the ace faces. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And you mentioned Marie Clark there. It's just, it's just an awful shame. John has never wrote a book. And his story, no. because of his connection with Celtic, you know, throughout the decades after he stopped so playing. Long. And he's mm. so well respected. Every manager yes. that come in, every player that come in, you know. And mm. he refuses to write a book. I, I think he doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, you know. <laughs> so that's why it, it, it's, it's important again that we see these pictures of, of, of a different side mm-hmm. of, of John as well, because most yeah. of us only know him for you know being in the dugout with Martin O'Neill, being a Lisbon Lion, being assistant to Billy, whatever it was, you know, it was football yeah. stuff. But sometimes we forget that like, when they go home and they close the door, yeah. you know, a dad, yeah, a granddad, yeah. a brother, you know, yeah. like, and sometimes we, we lose sight of that because we. We look at them in kind of, um, I wouldn't say hero status, but, you know, they inspire us because of the performance yeah. on the pitch. Mm. And then I want to I push forward now because, you know, okay. we spoke about all these beautiful photographs. We can take a picture now and we can load it up to social media in a matter of minutes or even seconds. But back in the day, these photos were taken, you know, especially the ones that taken at games. How did they get back in time to make the late edition of a newspaper? Or if it was a midweek game, how would mm. they deliver? Because no internet. How would they deliver mm. that? when you got your morning paper, which was where you got your news then? How, how was these pictures in it? And how were the pictures? This, this was my uh, this was my job actually for before computers changed the entire world in the early 1980s. This was my job. I used to sit in the office and I was working at that point on a Saturday afternoon. We would work on the Sporting Post. I grew up in Dundee. And the Sporting Post came out at five o'clock on a Saturday evening. And the trick was at that point that you had the paper ready for when the guys had walked down the, the hill from Dens Park or Tannerice Park. And it had to be ready in the time that they'd left. The final whistle goes and it takes them about 15 to 20 minutes to walk down the road. So we've got to get a newspaper out on the streets ready for them to buy as they're going to the train station. And sell exporters would have gone walk by on their way to the trains and we would have had a, a sporting paper to put in their hands and ask them for their 12 pence or whatever it was. And we sold a lot of papers that way. So we had to get a paper out in 20 minutes. And remember, there's no computers at this point. We had to do this in old hot metal. So the runners would, would sit beside the photographers at the side of the pitch and you've got to get a spool to us on 20 minutes at half time and on 75 minutes. And hopefully we get one of the goals or one of the great incidents of the match to put in that. They hand a spool of negatives to the runners, they hurtle down the hill, deliver it to our offices in the city centre, we get it developed, you get it etched into a, uh, it's an etching machine, makes it into a plate for the for the papers. Well, actually, sorry, before that, you've got to get a, the news editor will get a, what we used to call a contact sheet. And that was a miniature of the negatives just at life size. So we're looking at all the negative pictures, but uh, you, there's a way you can look at them, shine light through them to show what they'll look like uh, when they're developed. And at that point, you have to what we would call notch the picture, uh, which would meant that you cut a tiny sliver out the bottom of it, which, which denoted to the, the guys developing the picture, this is the picture we want. So that goes down to the uh, process, and they get it back up within about five to six, seven minutes maybe, we put it on a page, slap it in, hot metal, lock it up, 
send it away. You've got the rest of the paper and you've got the journalists writing. They've got separate runners uh, who would bring down their notes or in later days, probably, they would phone it in. Girl on the, would be girls on the uh, desk who would uh, sit with earphones on and take the reports from the uh, journalists at the, at the game. And because they were lasses and just employed on a part-time basis, they didn't know anything about football. So they would type what they heard. And sometimes you had to decipher, what does this mean? Charlie Nicholas, a famous one I remember, Charlie Nicholas tried a quick fire pot. And I'm thinking, what on earth is a quick fire pot? It turned out that the reporter had said a quick fire shot. It took me a week <laughs> out that sort of thing. But, I mean, there was another one. Uh, the ball came across the the the, uh, the pitch and Billy McNeil threw a flute at it. And I'm thinking, he threw a flute at it? What? But he'd obviously thrown a foot at it. and But that sort of thing, you had to work that out just darn quick. You got it locked up in the paper. I'm not going into the entire details, but the presses were waiting to roll. You got them out and you got these pictures and this news report, all the scores waiting for the, the guys coming down the road. There would be features. Every city had uh, uh, an evening paper like that and it is a horrible, terrible symptom of the modern world that these things don't exist anymore. I loved the Sporting Post. I used to go through the scores and think, right, if Mansfield Town had got a draw with Crew Alexandra instead of getting beat, how much would that have raised them up the, the table? And I spent an hour, two hours on a Saturday night just looking at these things and imagining, and that's how you learned about football. But the photographer might have taken 30 pictures, but only one or two were notched. So those, all those negatives we kept, every single one of them. They were put in little negatives packets, stored in folders. When the folder was big enough at the end of the year, you put it in an envelope and it sat on a shelf. And those things have sat there for 50, 60, 70 years sometimes and just do nothing. I'm not allowed to say gathering dust because my archivist manager says, if you say that my archive's dusty, I'll sue you. But it is dust. So they're just sitting there waiting, right? And they're waiting for somebody like me and Phil and look at all these negatives and think, like, this one was never used. But here is an absolutely superb picture of Bertie Peacock or somebody like that. And bear in mind, we had photographers all over the country at every single game. Because for the Sunday Post, you would... You would send photographers to all the games, and DC Thompson's didn't use freelancers. We sent our own photographers. So I have got this repository of game after game, week after week, season after season, decade after decade on shelves, and they're all marked just sort of Celtic versus Dunfermline, 1964. And I get those out, and I look at them. I get them developed, some of them, and I find absolute gold, guys. I could have filled this book four or five times. Some of the pictures aren't great, but other ones, it's just wonderful stuff. And I've I've been contemplating how else can I use it? Can I put out another book? And one of the things I think I'll maybe do is do uh, a book like Celtic on their travels around Scotland and show, because they always take great support with them and it's always colourful. And I'm trying to get from that, because everybody went to the games with their dads and such like, and I'm going to try and get all Here's you on a trip to oh, Airdrie, or here's you on a trip to uh, Dundee, or Aberdeen, or Dunfermline, or Edinburgh. And I'll fill it up with pictures of the Celtic players with the support in behind them, because I keep finding 
beautiful pictures, honestly. Great stuff. Right up to the days of Charlie Nicholas, right up to all, all the way through the, the Lisbon era, the, the Great Era, but even going back to the 50s and that. And I've got all these wonderful pictures. And I'll need to make another book. I'll need to uh, persuade my production, my publishing manager that there's another book in this because I've got so, so many pictures, guys. It's uh, it's it's unbelievable, really, what I've got. Um, I used a lot of the, the sort of getting into people's houses pictures in this one, and you find great stuff, like Stevie Chalmers playing in his back garden with his kids, and one of his kids has got Pelly's shirt on. And it's just amazing, because Stevie has swapped the, uh, shirts with Pelly after the Scotland-Brazil game, 68 maybe. And it's just it's just gold. And I, I wish I could find Stevie's son and say, have you still got Pelly's shirt? But I mean, it's amazing. How, how amazing is your dad? There's two boys. One of them's in the 67 shirt that uh, that Stevie Charles had worn. And, uh, well, a shirt from 67. I think he maybe lost his 67 shirt. But there's one him in a classic Celtic shirt and the other wee boy in Pelly's shirt. And you just never see pictures like that nowadays. And I, uh, I'm, as I say, I'm proud to bring them. And uh, I, I get an absolute boost when I see a Celtic supporter. I've actually presented this book to a couple of mates who are Celtic sports. The bloke lives over the roads from me, old bloke. And I've watched him go through it and his eyes light up when he says, oh, you know what, I remember that. I was there. Or, oh, I remember when the, the the barriers in the jungle were, were like that. There were a, a cross beam on the top, made it difficult to, to sit on top because I used to like to sit on top of it. My father would perch me on there. And oh, there's, this, there's the jungle with the barrel roof on the top and then you show him a picture of the uh, when the new roof had gone on uh, the jungle, and he says, "Oh, geez, I don't remember it being as high as that." And you know, I've kind of persuaded him that I've not doctored the pictures, but it was just that he was used to seeing it from the jungle, whereas I've got a picture of it looking into the jungle from a low angle, and it does it looks ridiculously high. But that sort of stuff, I would urge you if you've got an old Celtic person in your life, give them this book, and then watch them go through it, you'll get a thousand talking points out of it because they'll, there's stuff like, I've got a picture of uh, the uh, Celtic's uh, first league championship win under Jock Steen at Motherwell and Third Park, Celtic only needed a draw and even then, but Third Park is absolutely heaving with Celtic supporters, but there's a bit, you'll remember this yourself, Police used to sometimes jump into the crowd and arrest somebody and people would scatter aside and there's a great picture of the police and they're jumping in and they're arresting this poor soul and he's getting carted away. And it just reminds you of what football was like in those days when you're crowded in together and you'd all gone on a journey away. It's just wonderful stuff. Sometimes, to see, sometimes they used to let the kids spill onto the cinder track and People would climb up the the, the railings or the, the stanchions of the uh, floodlights to get a better view. And that Celtic game particularly, there's a lot of Celtic supporters on the roof. And it makes you worried for their health and safety, how they got on the roof of the Motherwell shed like that. But that sort of stuff. And to be honest, it's difficult to not get sort of dewy-eyed and uh, reminisce about, oh, I remember that day and... It's wonderful stuff. Honestly, honestly, wonderful stuff. Well, that, that Brazil jersey has got um, 
It's got my mind going now. I've two, I've two uh, little, little stories of a, of a players getting jerseys. <laughs> John Fallon's wife Essie, Lord of mercy on it. We attended her funeral last year, and the priest had said, you know, she was the first wag in the area. You know, before wags were, and but John would have bring home so many jerseys that he would exchange with, you know, opposition teams, and the kids, the kids would wear them to uh, PE school <laughs> and uh, but she would always wash them first so these were match worn jerseys but I think in 68 Celtic played Man United in, in, in a friendly or a charity game I think and Nobby Styles Nobby Styles exchanged jerseys with John mm-hmm. well, yeah. and John said to Nobby will you get a signed so John came home that evening with a signed 1968 European Cup winner's jersey and he placed it in the kitchen the next day when John was went to look for the jersey Essie had boiled washed it because someone had wrote all over it <laughs> so now he had a Man United jersey with no signatures that was boiled washed so so that was one and just before I move on to the Fallons um, John was sent to do a, a supporters function up north and he brought the Scottish Cup and the next morning he was lying in bed and the, and the police came to the door with his two sons. His two sons had been running up and down the street with the Scottish Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so can you imagine that happening now? I know, you know? I know. And, and, the, and the other story was a brilliant one from, um, I do live events with, you know, players and we, we do evenings with them. And George McCloskey, Charlie Nick has claimed that he, he swapped jerseys when they played Ajax with uh, Cruyff. But George McCluskey, it was actually George McCluskey who, who went in the dressing room because he said uh, Cruyff was having a massage and a cigarette. And he went in and they exchanged jerseys. George's brother wore, wore the jersey playing five-a-side football. Came home and the mother washed the jersey and she hung it on the floor to dry and it went on foil. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, these are things that, you know, like, these are just brilliant stories from players yeah, that you yeah. know over the year over the years so like they've been brilliant and you mentioned Marie Clark there I just flipped back to that while I was reading the book I didn't know this but John has lo- had lost a lot of or the Clark family have lost a lot of photographs and memorabilia in the fire that's right yeah. they must be well, so happy to see these pictures uh, um, I, I was looking for somebody to do an introduction to the book and I, I was thinking of Bertie and I have to say that Bertie is the most photogenic man you've ever seen. He's absolutely... Every picture you see Bertie in, he looks like a male model. He looks fantastic. But anyway, I was thinking, who can I get uh, to do an intro for the book? And I was in touch with uh, Joe Bloggs, the guy who runs uh, or helps on the the Celtic Wiki, who who has been a great help to me, actually, I have to say. I, I must say that he's been a really kind, generous guy. Once he got to know me and... Decided, like, I'm not some sort of somebody trying to take a rise here or somebody trying to take an advance on him. He's been so helpful coming forward with, with information. And it was him who suggested, well, Marie Clark, is, uh, she's very active on social media at times. If you're looking for somebody to do an intro, she always comes across really well. So, again, like I say, I'd, I'd, I'd contact her out of the blue. And uh, it was only then that she said, well, they, were, they were moving house, I think, and... Uh, a lot of their stuff was in storage and there was a fire at the storage facility and they lost a lot of their of their memorabilia, which 
I mean, that's incredible because John would obviously have had some superb memorabilia. So I have uh, attempted to to send her, you know, as many pictures as I can. I, I can only send them in sort of a digital form, but but she's going to get some of them uh, hopefully printed up. And uh, I used her, actually, I, I was saying her, like, now here's this picture of Celtic with the Scottish Cup, and here's Jock scene with Jimmy McGrory right in the middle of all the players. Can you tell me where that was? And she asked her father, and her father was able to say, uh, oh, yeah, here's where the where the, the hotel was. We were always, uh, we're always opposite Paisley Limited. I've forgotten exactly what the hotel was called, but and I was agog to hear. As soon as I knew that Marie had got a book, I was agog. I, I, I messaged her, emailed her and said, have you shown the picture, the book to your dad? Uh, what does he think of it? And uh, she wrote back immediately and said, oh, yeah, I got the books. Thank you very much. My dad loves it. It was just those couple of words. My dad loves it. And I'm thinking, I've a book that I have written sitting here in my wee office and it's gone to John Clark and he's looked through my book and he says he loves it. John's not a sort of effusive sort of bloke, but well, I'll I'll go in the grave. That's a feather in my cap. That's a medal you can pin on my chest. John Clark loves my book. Read it and weep, boys. See what I've done now. But, but it, it, even before you speak about the fifty-seven and sixties, but and you mentioned John Thompson there. Like I, I'm looking through the, the the photos, and as I said, I lo- love the fashion. But when I'm going through the, the the John Thompson stuff, I see a Horner cartoon strip about. Mm. But I'm curious about, and, and I checked the date, you know, because it's it's 3P or something. But it's it, it's it's 1972. So yeah. somebody somebody has taken John's story mm-hmm. and put it in, in, a, in a comic book, because we all grew up with comic books. So I don't yeah. think, I, I don't know if, if, if kids still get them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine with so yeah. much on tablets and that. But but that was the one thing, even, even all of these beautiful pictures happened. And I went, so... Somebody decades later tells this yeah. story to children, which yeah. is which is which is brilliant. I thought because you know John's story is it, it's a heartbreaking story, yeah. but somehow somewhere along the line, children have been taught this history, and I just that kind of it, it kind of took me aback because I wasn't aware of that. No, I, I don't know if you know DC Thompson, who I work for. They're the people who did the Beano and the Dandy, and obviously the Bruins and such like, and. Uh, not only have we kept all these uh, football from the newspapers, but we've kept all the all the old comics going right back to the nineteen thirties, and all the artwork as well, because these things were lovingly drawn out. Uh, I think it was maybe about double the size of the way they appeared in the comics, and these are works of art. It was a, the artist who drew uh, Urwilly and the Bruins was called Dudley D. Watkins, and his artwork is kept under lock and key, but you should see the quality of this stuff. And he was so prolific. He would bang out a, a comic strip in an hour or so, and you look at the art and you think, you just used two thicknesses of pens, wonderful stuff. It won't have been him who's drawn the, the Hornet, but uh, I don't. I used to, as a kid, I used to get the Hornet and the Wizard and the Victor and the Hotspur and uh, I was looking through the archive. Now, I have to give credit. It was my archive manager, David Powell, who said, uh, he's not really a football guy. He said, you know what? You should look at the Hornet because I'm sure that that goalkeeper who died, he didn't really know the story. But he says, I'm sure that that goalkeeper, he features in one of the heroes series that the Hornet used to do. So, again, guys, you've got to imagine me flicking through 
they, they bound up all the comics and they put them in a book form. And there's the 1972, uh, the entirety of the comic in one big volume. Great big, like, like one of the old family Bibles you used to get. Great big book. And I'm flicking through this and I find the story of John Thompson done in sort of a cartoon form. And to be honest, they embellish the story a wee bit. Or, well, there's certainly some bits in it that aren't quite actually true. But on the front page and then the back on, and he is held up as a hero. Uh, and they usually, in those uh, comics, there's stories about people who'd won the Victoria Cross or, or people who'd been missionaries to Africa, which was a, a favour uh, at the time, and, and presented them as heroes. And to see this of John in a boys' comic, it's a piece of history itself. It's nearly 50 years old itself. But again, that deserves to be shown out again. That deserves to, to go on a wall somewhere. Um, can I quickly tell you the, the mysterious story of, uh, in the book, I've got a picture of a mural that was presented to the John Thompson's local pub. But try as I might, because it was lockdown, I was set, right, I found this mural and it's presented to this pub that's in, in Fife. And I, I'm, I'm off to Fife and I'm going to find you where this mural is. Because the pub's still open and I'll find people around about, I'll stop old guys in the street. But I couldn't do any of it because it was lockdown. So I'm short on uh, on the history of this mural, but seemingly it hung in that pub in this wee five village for something like 70 or 80 years. And I'm wondering if it's still there. And as soon as lockdown finishes, I'm off to Fife and I'm going to find out. Because the picture I've got is just a black and white picture, but it was, it, this is a bony wooden mahogany uh, thing with a painting of John in it and his, his birth and death dates in it and it's a, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty. It's a piece of Celtic memorabilia that more people should know about. More people probably do know about it than, than me of course but I was just so touched with it and, and then to find uh, again on the 50th anniversary of, of John's death the, the Dundee Curie had gone and interviewed his brother and his brother's uh, your brother was an old man by that point. He, I think he was maybe getting on a bit, a bit dawdled. But he's, uh, we've got a picture of, of John's brother with his uh, wife and they're sitting 50 years later and they've got John's Scotland cap and his Scotland jersey. And again, you find it's just, it is absolutely touching that you finding that photo. It's like handling a bit of history. It's an old crackly photo and you think, people have forgotten this. People don't realise this and I'm just putting in the book and thinking, there we go, there's a there's a lovely picture that, that people won't have seen. It's just, you know, just another wee bit of history. Love it. I absolutely love it. I hope to see it. I'm, I'm so touched by some of this stuff that it's difficult to get through it without a lump in your throat. It's so nice. And if there's any listeners out there who can throw more light on the the John Thompson uh, image or placard, um, mural it was yeah the mural and I'm sure there will be because we, we yes. there's, there's, there's a lot of people um, David Potter lives up there and I'm sure Dave will be able to throw some light on mm-hmm. it now just be- before we wrap up I just want to let the, the, the readers know firstly the, the book is is brilliant and it's not a normal book because you know although there's text in it, it you know it's predominantly about the pictures and mm-hmm. full images when I saw it first I thought you know oh this is one of them books you have on a coffee table in the posh hotel but then, yeah. as I as I flick through, I, I, I straight away I realised no, this isn't. This is this is, it's fabulous. And I just want to just give the the listeners 
this isn't the this isn't the visual, isn't it's not YouTube, so we can't show them the book. But mm. we we will have the images up on social media and, and in in the fanzine and whatever. But I just want to let them know it's broken into sections. John Thompson, Selig in the fifties, team lineups, training, away from the game, which includes that dapper picture of Bobby Lennox and the Fred Perry, nineteen sixty-five, nineteen sixty-seven. Racing club, which we haven't spoken about, but them pictures are amazing. Mm. Jock Stein, the green, white, and silver, which is obviously a bit of trophies. Never 12 again. Wearing the hoops, the Celtic family. There's a section on the Leeds United game, and, and it finishes with Celtic heroes. So mm. there's, 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 there's much more than what we were able to speak about today. Yeah. I think you've spoken about some of your favorites. I think if you could, if you could pick one picture, from the 320 pictures in the book, mm-hmm. which is your favourite? Well, as a, uh, you know, I've talked about, I've talked about the best picture in the book, the best pictures are from 57. The picture that most touches me is Bobby Evans, but it's the pictures of Jimmy Johnson going to his welding job when he's just a wee laddie, 17 or 18 year old, and uh, he looks like it's difficult to describe what it looks like. It looks like some sort of beat poet, or uh, it looks like he should have a, a guitar slung over his back. Um, and it's a sort of grimy place that he's in. I've got pictures of him on the way, and there's a sort of industrial wasteland in the back. And it's it's Jimmy. He, he looks so, so young. He almost doesn't look like himself, and he's got this this black skull cap on a, a black tammy, and he's in his... He's working stuff with his working boots, which I believe he used to train in at times. And he looks incredible. These pictures, again, it deserves to be one of these posters. You know, you see these old black and white pictures from, I don't know, the war or something, and you see a street scene. Well, this picture of of Jimmy just walking, his hands in his pockets a lot of the time. And it was one of these instances where I came across a, a roll of negatives and there was six or seven in it and I'm puzzling my way through it and thinking which one of these am I going to use because they're all so good so at the end I just thought you know I can't I can't miss any of these out so I've used almost them all well, there's only a few of them actually doing the welding that I've held back but those pictures they evoke a time the personality of a of a young laddie who is obviously talented beyond belief but in those days he's got to go to his welding apprenticeship and you see pictures of him welding and he's just like any other teenager you see him walking along the road and he's like I say he, he looks like a beat poet it's uh these I think I know there's a Jimmy Johnson uh, museum at Caskin Park and I'm again when lockdown finishes I'm going to go and visit that and I'm going to go and offer them offer them these pictures because they deserve a wider uh, audience than they're getting and I mean there's great pictures as well of of Jimmy, he's obviously nicked some great big iron bar from his work and he's taken it home and he's in his front room and he's doing uh, press ups or or bench presses with this iron axle thing to build up his upper body strength and again it's it's just lovely it's uh, you can see his old gas fire and he's got a state-of-the-art 13-inch black and white telly in the background. And you know how people used to have sort of lace doilies type things on the back of the armchairs? He's, he's got all that. And it's just lovely. It's Jimmy 
being Jimmy, um, it's just wonderful. And uh, actually, if I just finish on one, there's a bizarre picture of Jimmy hanging up the name when he buys a wee bungalow in 1969 or something. And the name he's given his wee bungalow is Estadio. And it's just that sort of touching thing that I'd never known that. It's almost a wee quirk of Jimmy's personality, the, the place where his greatest triumph is. He's, he's named his house after it, and he's hanging up this very 1960s sign on his house. And it just wouldn't happen nowadays. Uh, it's Honestly, it's lovely. But it's that sort of touching thing. You'll, you'll need to look through it. Everybody need to look through it themselves, because every picture you come across, like Bobby Lennox with his new car, or Billy McNeil's got this really bonny rover car, and they're proudly posing behind their cars, and it's got the it's got the number plate and and everything, and it's just it's just bizarre. You don't see that nowadays, but certainly not. I when I when 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 I look at them Jimmy Johnson pictures, it reminds me of Kevin Rowland from Dexter's Midnight yes. Runners. Yes. The hat, the yeah. boots, the jeans. I'm I'm thinking that Kevin Rowland's, you know, see this picture because. <laughs> It's like I think it's the Young Soul Rebels um, yes. album, and it just you know because he's he's got his bag on the shoulder and he's he, you know he's heading off, and that's yeah. what that's what you know it, it reminded me of. But my favourite picture is a yeah. picture that I never thought I'd see, and I and it took me a few flicks through the book to find it. As I said, uh, I told you before that you know John Fallon has become a good friend for for many years, and there's some cracking pictures of John in it. But John told me. He never played for Celtic without wearing a hoops jersey. He always wore the hoops jersey under his jersey, or under his goalkeeper's jersey. And when he went to Motherwell, he said he'd done the same. Now, and I thought this was just folklore. There's a, uh-huh. there's a picture of them all sitting in the dressing room. And there's John in the bundle, in black and white, with the hoops jersey on. Yeah. So I never doubted him, but if I had to, I'd be eating me words now. So I got to see John in the hoops jersey, and I went. But I didn't know it was on the first few flicks through the book. That's what I'm saying. Every time you pick this book up, you're going to find something else. I've got the book. I've been lucky enough to be sent it. <laughs> How do fans get their hands on this book? And can we buy individual pictures? Yes, you can. There's, uh... Right, start with a book. There's, um, it'll be everywhere. The Celtic official shop is carrying it. You get it on Amazon. Uh, it, it was out of stock on Amazon. No idea why, but it's now back in stock on Amazon.co.uk. Uh, Celtic shop will do it. But fastest, because we can send them directly from the warehouse. So if you've got a pen and a paper, write this down. dcthompsonshop.co.uk and they will bundle up for you as fast as you like and, and send it. So that's www.dcthompson, without a P in the middle, shop, that's all one word, .co.uk, and you'll get it in there. Now, the uh, the pictures themselves, some of them, although very, very few of them, in fact, I can, I can barely think of an example, they're all DC Thompson's, they're all our copyright, so we can sell them all. So there's a website. I don't think they're up there yet, but at some point I'll I'll see if I can hurry the girls along to do this. There's a, a website called photoshopscotland.com and they'll all be up there. There's there's lots of other pictures up there, but you'll find it in there and every single one of them can be bought. 
uh, I, I don't think we send out the the digital form, but we send you out as a as a print as big as you like, and you get them from there. That's so it's Photoshop Scotland, all one word dot com, and they'll be there. But you can get the book anywhere, Waterstones. If there's anywhere in Ireland that uh, would like to stock the book, then get in touch. But yeah, you get it anywhere. Where, where, wherever good books are bought, as they say. Well, Steve, um, firstly, congratulations on the book. Thank you, and sir. I believe you're going to send me another one now because of the, the one about lifting off the turnstiles because I've twisted your arm on that one because I'd love to see that. But as I say, congratulations on the book. It's certainly, uh, it is a brilliant, it's a brilliant Christmas present. Um, and I think for young and old fans as well, because they'll definitely get something from it. And yeah, like it's it, only nineteen pounds ninety nine. I have to say, so that's a that's a great bargain as well. Great to get the that's great a bargain, to get that yeah, for, for the size and weight of this book. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, it it is. Um, I'm surprised how cheap it is actually. And there you go. But anyway, mm-hmm. listen. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure to chat. You're the first Dundee United fan we've had on. Rick, <laughs> Rick, Ricky Ross has turned us down. <laughs> uh, he's a good guy he is indeed I, I've enjoyed yeah. his gigs many a time now, mm. I look forward to a second volume of the book but mm. hopefully if we can get back to Scotland we do a live show called Celtic AM before pre-match games and mm. hopefully if you get back you can get your ass down to Glasgow with the book love to maybe do a signing and maybe you know mm. have one that people can just flick through on the day yeah you know, and hopefully we will get through this pandemic sooner rather than later because yeah. we're just we're, we're mad to get back to the football and back to some kind of yeah. reality. But yeah. you, you've definitely brought something into the domain of Celtic fans and Celtic historians that possibly was missing, which was a really, really good photo book. And I hope Celtic take it up in the offer. And I think Jim yeah. at the Jimmy Johnson Academy will definitely take it up in the offer. Yeah. So yeah. all I can say, Steve, is thanks very much. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Absolute great fun. Thank you. Brilliant. So I suppose that's the first non-Celtic fan we've had on the podcast, but it was great to have him on. Dundee United fan, as I said, big football fan. And if you get a chance to have a look at this book or buy this book, I highly recommend it. Absolutely brilliant. Great to have Steve on the show. So folks, I hope you're all keeping well during yet another lockdown. Over here in Ireland, we're on level five. I think it's level three across the water. Hopefully everyone can stay positive. Times are tough. I know a lot of people in the entertainment business never got the chance to get back to work. A lot of the musicians that we would normally go to see on match day. The bars are closed in Glasgow, the hotels are closed. So it must be such a hard time for everybody. But you know what? If we stick together, we can get through this. And we're here for the long road. And you know, we will get back to Celtic Park. We will get back to going to games. This can't last forever. Just can't. We're going to have to learn to cope with this going forward. And hopefully, and I say hopefully, sooner rather than later. Thanks to all the contributors who have sent articles in for issue 111. Working on it at the moment. Keeps me busy during this lockdown. There's a couple of copies left of 110. If you, you can buy them online there or you can buy the digital edition. Alternatively, you can subscribe quarterly or yearly subscriptions and should we'll throw in a gift or maybe a t-shirt or a badge for him that subscribes also check out our new t-shirt range again if you pre-order for christmas we'll throw in a little gift once again thanks to our producer ron mcquillan and once again folks if you like what we're doing and you would like to support us you can visit celticfanzine.com where you can become a member subscribe buy or donate for the price of a point and thanks for everybody who has listened so far and much appreciate the support 
Don't forget, folks, you can download the new app. It's free and you'll have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, our video content and all the stuff about the fanzine and our online shop at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. All episodes of the podcast are now available on all platforms, so don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button on your preferred platform and you'll never miss an episode. As I said in previous podcasts, we were working on some stuff for the YouTube channel, but again, we've had to shelve that because of the COVID, but we will be back hopefully in December when this is lifted, we can get back to doing that. Once again, thanks to our episode sponsor, St. Margaret Salic Supporters Club. Big shout out to Hilly and the boys, doing a great job there. Club I've been with from day one, and I really miss getting out with the boys, you know, getting to Glasgow, but if we stick together, we'll get out of this. I know a lot of businesses are struggling, so I just can't thank the ones that who are supporting us and the Celtic Supporters Clubs. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast all the fans in. So many thanks to those who have supported us. If you would like to support us, don't forget to email us at info at or contact us through the website or message us on social media. Thanks very much for all the comments on the last show. Keep them coming in. Remember, we want suggestions for guests and if you have a story to tell, get in contact with us. We will be back on Tuesday with episode 36 and we have another guest opening up that Salix all to us. Folks, enjoy the weekend. I know it's going to be a quiet one. Hopefully we get the result on Sunday. We really, really want up in Aberdeen and we can kick on. We'll be back Tuesday and we'll look back on the game against Aberdeen and we look forward to Lille. And we'll get Kieran Kenny to open up his Celtic soul to us. So folks, stay tuned, stay safe and keep the faith. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.